There's so many mysteries in my relationship with God. One, one that just continues to astound me is, is that God would somehow be enthroned on my praises, right? Isn't that crazy? That when we praise God, He is recentered back on the throne. We've been studying in First Kings, and and it's kind of been a study of how not to do it, right? It's been a study of what happens when we take control of the throne of our own lives, and we just have a spectacular example in Ahab of of the wrong thing being on the throne of our lives. I'm so grateful through praise, through prayer, through, through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that, that we can realign our hearts, that we can seat Jesus back where he needs to be, alone on the throne of our life. But let's look at a couple of scriptures uh, today. Um, uh, there's so much richness in them, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface. But, but I want to invite you, Lord willing, um, to listen for the Holy Spirit as we open God's Word. We're going to start, actually, in an Old Testament passage, well, two Old Testament passages. We're going to start in, in the Psalms. It's a little bit long, but I just invite you to turn with me. We won't have it on the screen. Turn with me to Psalm 34, if you would. Psalm 34. And let's just let God's word speak to us. David standing before the throne of Abimelech and 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 recognizing um, they were much studying together. First Kings uh, eighteen. First Kings eighteen. I'm going to go back and just pick up verse one and two just for context. And then we're going to skip over what we studied last week and pick it up again in verse 17 through 21. But 1 Kings 18, verse 1, after many days, literally uh, three and a half years, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Remember that there had been a drought at Elijah's word for three and a half years. And now, now after patiently waiting upon the Lord and drawing his strength from the Lord, the Lord has revealed to Elijah that he's going to send rain upon the earth. Fantastic news. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Throughout our study of 1 Kings, we've seen that Elijah, even when it did not make sense, did what the Lord asked of him. Even when three years went by, he still faithfully did what the Lord asked of him. And it continues now. He went to show himself to Ahab. And then last week we studied how that came about through someone the Lord had sovereignly placed as second in command in, in Ahab's court. Uh, he used another brother, Obadiah, to um, bring Ahab to himself. We pick up the story in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, 
and your father's house. Remember the whole story of his father Omri. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals, the, pro- the, the false idols and prophets. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of that female consort to Baal Asherah who eat at the Queen Jezebel's table. So, amazingly, Ahab sent to all the people of Israel. Now, he's motivated, right? There's, the drought's still going on. He's motivated. If Elijah can somehow stop this drought, no matter how hard it is for, for Ahab to swallow, it would be good. And, and he gathered them all at Mount Carmel. And I want you to see this verse. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to read it together. It's our memory verse for today. An unusual one, but, but an important one. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, if Baal is God, then follow him. And do not miss this last phrase. And the people did not answer him a word. Would you read verse 21 with me out loud? And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And this is 1 Kings 18.21, the very word of God. Lastly, if you would, turn to a very familiar passage in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God passage. Ephesians verses 10, excuse me, 6 verses 10 through 13. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those four books right in a row. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. One of several finalies in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, the very word of God. Now, thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it never returns void. We open ourselves to your word today. Speak to us, would you, God? Words of life. I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
Amen. Well, wow, wow, we're getting to it. We're crawling to it, but we're getting to it, right? God is uniquely bringing, after three and a half years, bringing together side by side two distinctly different pasts, two distinctly different futures for the people of God. Now, I would love to think that that that's all it would take, but I think how many times God has done that in my life, right? How many times he's said, here's one path and here's another. Take that one. And I've taken that one instead, right? Um, Oh, I love the mercy and grace of God, which is never ending. Every time we come to him, he's merciful. Amen. Um, But we have to come to him. And God sometimes uses prophets, people who foretell the will of God. Sometimes it's future telling. We discovered that in our study of Revelation last year. But most of the time it's not telling the future. It's telling right now. It's telling what is. Right? And God is just reminding us of, of the path. And, and over the last few weeks we've, we've just seen just beautiful dimensions of that. Right? Let me just summarize for real quickly if you're just joining with us either here or online. That, that in, in this story we saw that, that um, the people of God had wandered and leader after leader, leader had had ever increasing brokenness and led the people of God into ever increasing sin so much so that they are now split off and 10 of those tribes are in the north and are just wantonly disobeying God, dishonoring God. And it's just astounding to me, his patience. I don't know why, because he's been so patient with me. But, but when you look at it so clearly in Scripture, you go, what were they thinking, right? And, and finally, uh, finally, God called Elijah seemingly out of nowhere, out of this little burg, almost as unmentioned as Nazareth, and, and called him into the very presence of wickedness, into the very presence of the king who was leading the people of God astray. And, 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 and he, he just made that almost one sentence, right, declaration, there shall not be rain on the earth. And I think, this was Dave speaking back then, but I think that that was six months into the drought that he came and, and, and said, there's not going to be rain except by my word. And then he disappeared, right? He disappeared. And for three years, um, Ahab looked for him, right? He looked for him. Where is that guy that, that said, except by my word, there's not going to be rain? And, and we saw this beautiful uh, portrayal of the love of God that, that uh, God called Elijah aside. Remember the brook? He fed him with ravens. Then, and then... In God's perfect timing, he led them right into Jezebel's backyard and provided for him there by a widow. And, and I, I want you to, in your minds, just kind of think about two different aspects of Elijah's life. His private life, right, which we got a front row seat on for three years. His private life, which culminated in a miracle that, that no one on earth had seen to that point. It culminated in raising the widow's son from the dead. So, so it's almost like God's put an exclamation point on this season of, of uh, private time in Elijah's life with God. Right? 
And the reason I'm, I'm camping on this for a second is because, because before we ever go into public, right, we have to spend that time with God. We have to cultivate that life. The public is going to see, and, and I'm, a, I'm a poster child for this, right? The public is going to see uh, every um, nook and cranny and, and weak spot in our, our life. So before we ever engage in public ministry, God invites us to pull aside, to be still, and know that he is God. And for Elijah, that, that period of time was three years. Everybody's going crazy looking for him. But it was out of his private life that now, now Elijah is ready for public ministry. As we sang earlier, after waiting on the Lord for three years, now uh, God calls Elijah. Now, I don't want to... Um, Elijah, we saw from James, is a man just like us. He's a person, right? And so we're not going to put him on a pedestal because he'll fall off of it. He will fall off spectacularly in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's not about Elijah's righteousness. It's about what God can do through one woman, one man who says, broken as I am, I offer you my heart. God, use me, right? And and we get a front row seat here as that begins. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Go show yourself to Ahab. Now, now we saw in last week in Obadiah's life, that would, that would just strike fear and terror in anybody's life. But after three years of being in, in the presence of the living God, right, uh, Elijah was prepared for this and, and, and didn't hesitate to go and find uh, Ahab. Now he had some great news. He's gonna he's gonna bring rain upon the earth. But as we'll see in the next two weeks, there's something absolutely critical that must happen in between. I just want to press pause for a second and say, sometimes obeying God will put you in strange places. It's so interesting to me that that Obadiah didn't seem to recognize Elijah. You know, three years is a long time. Uh, I had lunch this last week. Mike Libs and I were talking about it. We had lunch with our with our old racquetball buddies, and they looked really different, didn't they? <laughs> we didn't personally. We're as young as ever, but they really looked old. I'm looking at these guys going, these are a bunch of old guys, right? <laughs> One of them had like a beard that almost reached the floor. It was just incredible, you know, and I, I thought I was in the presence of Elijah for a second there. But but it was, it, it was amazing um, uh, to me. Uh, that that God allowed that impact of my life to 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 catch up with those guys again, and and I just wanted to say as we begin here, sometimes when you o- obey God's uh, word in your life, He will put you back with people that are almost unrecognizable. Not only Obadiah seemed to struggle to recognize Elijah, but when Ahab saw him, now I might be reading too much into this, but Ahab says, "Is that you?" Is that you? No, he could be. He could be pulling a power move on him, you know, and saying, "I know it's you, and you're dead meat, right?" But it's also possible that three years in the presence of God had changed Elijah, right? Remember when he appeared with Jesus and and Moses, right, on the Mount of Transfiguration? Is that you, Elijah? Right? Um, when you spend that personal time, you'll become increasingly unrecognizable to the world, right? 
And Elijah, Elijah confronted Abraham. Um, take a note for just a second. Um, this is kind of the premise of our, our brief time together today. That is, that God is able to do tremendous things with those who are willing to confront the darkness, right? God's able to do amazing things. We're going to have a front row seat over the next couple of weeks on the amazing works of God through whom we'll find out to be this broken man, this, 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 this guy who struggled like we struggle uh, in, in living out the life of God. So, so um, my premise is that God can do amazing things through us, just as he did through Elijah, if we're willing to confront the darkness. Let me just say, let me just say first, willing to confront our own darkness, right? Our own darkness. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you traveler of Israel, Right? And, and I don't know if it's just a male characteristic or if it's particular to me, but um, I'm quick to always look to the outside. Some, it, there's an external reason for the problems that I'm having. It couldn't be me, right? It must be, it must be someone else. And Elijah comes back. I have not troubled Israel. That same word is used in a couple of other places. In one place, it means cursed. I have not cursed Israel, right? But usually when you see that word, it means I've not stirred things up, right? Jesus reflected on that, right? In this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation, right? Things will get stirred up periodically. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I've overcome the world. Is that, that's John 6.33, I believe, right? I've overcome the world. Elijah is saying, you are my problem. And prophetically, Elijah says back, no, I've got a lot of problems, but... I'm not your problem, right? You are the one. You, and he recognized that generational sin. You and your father's house, right? You are the problem. I, I want you to note that, and I'm going to use archaic words, but, but they're biblical words and they're good words. And, and when we try and understand them, we find out that they're still very applicable to our culture. I want to use words like wicked and righteous. I know that that's a stark contrast, right? But the wicked will always blame the righteous for the troubles in the world, right? They never think to own their own sins, right? Um, and, and that, by the way, when you, like me, find yourself blame shifting all the time and, and trying to blame other people for the situations in which you find yourself, that's a sign that, that you're losing your grip on the spiritual truth about wickedness and righteousness. So what's the difference between the wicked and the righteous? By the way, remember like when we first discovered the word predestination, all of a sudden we start seeing it everywhere. It's everywhere, right? It's like we never saw it before. And if I plant these two words in your mind, wicked and righteous, especially as you work your way through Psalms and Proverbs, you'll see whole chapters devoted to this and whole chapters to, to the difference between them. But let me just give some cliff notes for a second on some of the things I've discovered over, over um, my journey with, with Christ. Um, what's the difference between the wicked and the righteous? The righteous recognize their own sin. Do you, did you catch that? It's not that one is sinful and one is not, right? There are none righteous, right? No, not one. Both Paul and the Old Testament, right? 
It's not about it's not about being sinless. There's only one person who was sinless, and we crucified him, right? It's not about sinful or not sinful. It's about recognizing your sin, right? Now, I want to note here, it's interesting. Uh, it's a little bit of a cliche, but it's so visible right here. I want, to, I want to note it. That means sins of omission, things that we have not done, right? And, and Elijah says to, to Ahab, you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord, right? Um, you, have, you have neglected... You have not followed the commandments of the Lord, sins of omission. But, but our sin also includes sins of commission, right? Things that we do. Not only have you not done what you're supposed to do, but you did what you weren't supposed to do. That's, by the way, quoting the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, right? Wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me from this body of death? The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. It's so fascinating to me that in Christian community that um, I've mentioned this to you before, but we, we kind of recognize that in the way we say the Lord's Prayer, right? Have you ever been with a diverse group of people and tried to pray the Lord's Prayer together? You do really good at first, right? And then what happens? You get to the word trespasses, right? And all the Presbyterians say debt. All the Catholics say trespasses. And, and all of that we say sins, right? <laughs> right? That's just a direct expression of that, right? To trespass is to, uh, to do a sin of commission, to cross a line, right? And I've shared with you before how it, very early in life we learned that. How old, is, how old is Leo? We were laughing about that uh, last evening in my, in my living room. You know, he's 15 months, um, 15 months, and he is learning the line and how to step across it, right? And... Um, <laughs> And I'm, I'm 64, and I'm still doing that, right? But when, when Presbyterians traditionally say debts, then we're thinking about sins of omission, right? Things that we have, debt is something that you haven't paid, you haven't, right? And so it, it is beautiful, and, and, and it's not like one is right and one is wrong. It's just they're both reflecting two aspects of sin. And that's why, by the way, we say sin, both sins of commission and sins of omission. I'm sorry to camp on that, but it's so visible here in our, in our passage. Ahab, you, you haven't done what you were supposed to do, and you did what you're not supposed to do. Not only did you do it, but you led the whole nation in your sin, right? The righteous recognize their own sins, their sins of omission and commission. But the righteous are quick to repent of it. I was thinking about, I'm thinking of brothers right now that, that have struggled with, with besetting sins and, and sometime after the 15th or 20th time of, of committing the same sin, you, you're tempted. The evil one wants, wants to tempt you and say, yeah, I guess God doesn't really exist, right? Because you keep messing it up. You keep screwing up and and. And, and we say over and over again, I, did I just say screwing up in church? I think I did. Um, like I said, broken, right? Um, it's not about how many times you sin. It's what you do when you sin, right? When the Holy Spirit reveals to you your brokenness, like right now, you, you repent of it, right? 
you turn from the sin and turn toward God. And, and, and God, who's bound by his character to forgive, uh, forgives you of that brokenness. But here's another important one that we've learned along the journey, haven't we? The righteous refuse to live under the condemnation of their or anyone else's sin, right? Paul, after that incredible um, wrestling with himself that I just quoted from Romans 7, gets to Romans 8, 1 and says, there's therefore now no condemnation, right? The righteous refuse to live under the condemnation of sin because one day sin will be no more, but you will still exist. One day God is going to break the power of sin, disease, and death over us, right? And, and, and finally we'll be completely free from that. Oh, I cannot, I cannot wait, right? That's when there will be no more tear. There will be no more sadness, right? There will be no more death. The righteous refuse to live under the condemnation of their sin or anyone else's sin. And just last night, as I was reflecting on this again, I, I wanted to add another one. Though the righteous fall, and, and beloved, do the righteous fall. Yeah, usually between here and the parking lot, right? Yeah. Although the righteous fall, they courageously rise up again. I can still remember I was a... Uh, my first full-time ministry position in Southern California. And I was in my quiet time, and I, and I, I came across um, Proverbs 24, and it hit me like a lightning bolt, right? The righteous fall seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. And, and what hit me was that both the, the righteous and the wicked fall six times, right? The difference, beloved, sometimes is as simple. There's much more to wickedness and righteousness. But sometimes the difference is getting back up again, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, rehearsing the truths of God in your mind. Christ has died for my sin. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to, I'm going to stand firm again. And if I fall again, sorry, if you fall eight times, it's over. God's grace doesn't extend. No. If I fall again, I'll get back up again. Right? I will repent again. I will get back up again. Right? Why was, why was Elijah so, uh, so courageous? What was the difference between him and Obadiah? Right? Why was he not afraid to meet King Ahab, why was he not afraid to speak truth into King Ahab's life, right? Because because it wasn't about his falling. It was about the one who raised him up. And Elijah, remember the, the miracle at the end of his time with God? Elijah knew and worshipped a God who raised even the dead. Wow. Well, what was that truth? What was that truth? I put in, in your notes, the truth is not that Elijah was the problem. The, the, the truth, and I put in your notes, that Ahab was the source of the trouble. Let me put that differently. Ahab was the problem, right? But he wasn't the source, was he? Our struggle, we heard again 
in Ephesians 6 is not against flesh and blood, right? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, NIV, this present darkness, ESV, right? And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Ahab's not even the source of the problem. He is a problem, but he's not the source of it. The evil one is. And, and, and Elijah's battle, God's battle, was not with this king. His battle was with Satan against the adversary from of old. Well, uh, a, a righteous person's willing and able and courageous enough to confront their own darkness. But they're also willing to confront cultural darkness, Right? This is, this is just astounding passage. So, so Elijah says to Ahab, gather all the people of Israel. And it's interesting because wouldn't that include the prophets? No, they came from Sidon, most likely. They came at, at Jezebel's beckoning from outside the people of God. And, and Jezebel was intentionally trying to turn the hearts of the people of Israel away from God and toward a wooden idol toward something that didn't even exist, right? Uh, and so, so uh, Ahab calls together the people of Israel, but then Elijah specifically mentions the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of, of Baal's consort, Asherah, right? And so there's 850, we're going to pick up on this next week, there's 850 false prophets, and as best we can tell, we know that, that Obadiah's got a hundred true prophets hidden in a cave somewhere. They don't, they're not mentioned in this passage. Best we can tell, one prophet of God, right? How do you like them odds? Uh, you know, wow, would you take those? Um, no, unless you knew God. And, and then you would take them every time. And in case I don't get back to this later, you're... Contest might not be as spectacular or visible as this was a whole nation being together, but it's just as important to the kingdom of God. Right? And, and your courage is no less than your courage is no less than Elijah's when when you stand and are willing. It, it might be as subtle as no, I'm not going to participate in that. Right. Um, or it might be as spectacular as, as speaking truth into the culture, right? But it's no less important. And remember that, that darkness is simply the absence of what? Light, right? And, and Jesus first said, I am the light of the world, right? When he was, when he was trying to reveal his purpose uh, to the nation of Israel. But then, but then he, in, he entrusted that calling to his disciples and says, you are the light of the world. So, so if darkness is simply the absence of light, all it takes is one person. I can think of countless uh, candlelight services on Christmas Eve, right? One person to light the light, right? And to courageously stand and be that light. I almost said hold that light, but, but Jesus put it this way. Be that light, right? Um, the great invitation of God is to recognize people are not the trouble. Um, uh, 
evil one is. And though the evil one's goal is darkness, God is a God of light. So, you have a decision to make. We have a decision to make. I, I just cannot emphasize enough how powerful this was, what Elijah said. How long? Everybody's there. The whole people of God are there, right? He's speaking to the people of God. How long will you go on limping between two opinions, right? If, if the Lord is God, follow him. Does that phrase come in sound familiar? Yeah, right. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Now, we'll see next week that at least 850 people took him at his word. And 850 people still trusted in Baal right there before him. We'll explore that contest next week. But the question that he asked them is the question that God asks us as individuals, as a church, as a Christian community in Evansville, as a nation, right? Because, in fact, Jordan was just mentioning this to me. Uh, well, uh, Wellburn just did a survey again. What was it, 87%? 80-plus percent of people in Evansville say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, right? They, they will say to you, I am a follower of Christ. I mean, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? That would, that would be awesome, but, but why is your face looking like it is? Because, because we recognize that that's probably not true. It's just too easy to be a cultural Christian, right? It's too easy. I was born in the United States, therefore I'm, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm, uh, I, am, I am saved. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more pointed. Uh, uh, somewhere in my vacation Bible school experience, they said, anybody want to be saved the rest of their life, raise your hand. And I raised my hand. I'm not diminishing that. Um, for, a, for a third grader or something, that was a critical step of faith, right? But it was a, it was a step that was based on salvation. The question wasn't, do you want to be saved? Jesus will ask that many times. The question was, is God Lord of your life? And that is a different question, right? So, so the people of God in that day were, were hopelessly compromised. They were limping between two opinions. Why do I use that word? Because the ESV does. But we could have used wavered. We could have used stumbled. I love, I love hobbled. Uh, the different Bible translations look at that. Passed over. The same word from, from the Passover um, uh, scriptures in the Old Testament. Um, uh, the, the significance is that we, we can't decide what we're going to do. Our heart are divided, right? And we're keeping a foot in each camp. Did I share with you the, the Marilyn Monroe doctrine, right? A couple of weeks ago, remember that, that great theologian, um, Marilyn Monroe, someone said, what do you believe? And she said, I believe a little bit of everything, right? I believe a little bit of everything. And, and, and we laugh when it's that stark, but, but we have been there. And, and maybe uh, we're there right now, right? Maybe we're there right now. The whole thrust of Elijah's ministry 
was to call out those of us who, who are living the Monroe Doctrine, not the other one, the Maryland Monroe Doctrine, right? Who are trying just a little bit of everything. How is it like the guy in the, in the mummy movie who just starts pulling off every necklace, right? And starts reciting every language, hoping that one of these gods he's got around his neck is going to save him, right? We find ourselves subtly doing the same thing. We're much more sophisticated in our idolatry, but, but we find ourselves doing the same. And Elijah's words speak to us like they spoke to the nation of Israel in that day. How long will you live a hobbled life? How long will you stumble between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If not, then own it. Then, then at least be honest. Follow, follow whatever idol is, is drawing you into its grasp, right? So, so we have a decision to make, but he didn't abandon us. And in this, that's why I chose this as our memory verse. In this memory verse are all the clues that we need. In this memory verse is a reason to grasp, right? Because the Lord is God, amen? It's kind of a rhetorical question. If the Lord, He is. There is no other God. So, so you don't ever have to be ashamed of identifying as a follower of God or a follower of, of Jesus because He is Lord. And, and His Word is true. And, and, and the sooner you start putting your weight down on that, the easier, oh, I'm going to stumble right there. Not the easier life will become. But the more faithful, the more faithful life will become, right? Yeah. So, so you've got a great reason to grasp here. The Lord is God. That's the fact. That is true. And every word of His is true. Elijah doesn't say follow the Lord because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't appeal to us to just follow moral duty, right? Um, he... He, he doesn't say to us, do it because it's the right thing, because your parents did it, because your friends do it. Uh, no, he says, do it because it's true, right? He doesn't say it's the right thing to do. He says, do it because it's true. Have you ever heard someone speculate? And I've heard people say this, well, follow Jesus, because even if it's not true, then you'll live a pretty good life. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I have. I have, right? No. What did the Apostle Paul say? If Christ is not raised, we are the most miserable people in the world, right? We, we built our house on a, on a, on a foundation of, of sand. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we've got nothing to offer anyone. Now, our message is Christ is risen. I want you to see the juxtaposition of this, right? Because Elijah just had a front row seat on resurrection, right? Uh, he saw the widow's son rise from the dead. No, the challenge of this life is not to choose a way of life that's right for you. That's what the world will say to you right now. Now, the central question is who is God? And how can I spend my life for him, right? In New Testament terms, what, who is this man, Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with Jesus, right? Your response to him, your, your, um, your faithful response will determine everything in your future, your eternity. 
So you have a decision to make. You have a reason to grasp. There is urgency, right? This, this window of opportunity will not last forever. And, and, and a lot of us are tempted to think, like so many in my extended family have, well, I've always got time to do that. And yeah, if you just want to go by average age span, maybe you'll be fortunate enough, like a testimony in my own family, to on your deathbed come to serve Jesus Christ or to know him. You know, it's just as real that, that after a life of not following him, that God's Holy Spirit won't, won't speak to you in that moment. The time is now. Right? How long... People of all of that, friends watching online, how long are we going to waver between two opinions? When are we going to get serious, right? Because not only is our eternity uh, hanging in the balance, the eternity of so many whom God has entrusted to our care. In Elijah's case, the eternity of a nation was at Risk. So it's urgent. You have an urgency to consider. What about you? How long will you waver between two opinions? I'm thinking about it because we have this huge group of seniors who are, who are graduating this year. And it's such an amazing time, isn't it? And their whole future is before them, right? The decisions that they make in the next few months will have critical impact. Now, God can always redeem. Some of us, he's redeemed far down that road. But but I just think about what's at stake right now. Don't waver. Don't waver, seniors. How about those of us, mm, can't do the math fast enough, 42 years from graduation, right? Are we still limping along? Are we still wavering between two opinions? Are we still trying to love Jesus and love the world at the same time? Are we still toying with the same sins? Never never giving ourselves to them completely, right? But never giving ourselves to Christ completely either, right? How long? It's urgent. It's important. We have an outcome to pursue as well. He didn't, he didn't say, if the Lord is God, pray a prayer and then just rest on your laurels, right? What did he say? Remember? If the Lord is God, follow him, right? Follow him. Engage him physically, emotionally, spiritually. Follow him. We have an outcome to pursue as well. Well, lastly, today, I just want to, um, yeah, it just breaks my heart. I, I just want to um, note the last verse of our memory verse, the last words of our memory verse. Because that said everything about the people of Israel. Um, did you remember it? And the people did not answer Elijah a word. Crickets. Silence. Right. Uh, how long, he said, will you go on wavering between two opinions? And they didn't say a word. There was definite, uh, deafening silence, icy stillness, right? 
Elijah had just drawn a line in the sand saying, if the Lord is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. Not one of them spoke up. Or did they? Or did they, right? Their wordlessness was a very loud and clear response, wasn't it? It revealed their apathy. It revealed their indifference, their complacency. By saying nothing, they were really, come on up, worship team, they were really saying everything, right? By saying nothing, they were really saying everything. Their minds were unmade. Their hearts were unstable. Their loyalties were were divided, right? And apparently, at least until challenged by Elijah, they were fully and unthinkingly intending to ride out this balancing act the rest of their life. And I feel like we do that sometimes. We walk this narrow thing teetering along the way, and we're willing to keep doing that. That's not, that's not planting your feet on a solid foundation, right? The real danger of our disloyalty to God, whether active or passive, goes much deeper than simply making a spiritual choice at some point in our life. It's not just a decision with spiritual implication. It's a recentering of your entire life on God, right? It's, it's taking on a whole new worldview. You see, in a God-centered worldview, all people are equal. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen? There's no economic difference. There's no righteousness. We're all one because we, we all are helpless before a holy God. But in a worldview like Elijah was confronting, right, uh, then only special people had access to God. So many times people have said, I could never have a relationship with God like you do. And, and I'm thinking, are you crazy? Are you crazy? You can right now, right? Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. None of that other stuff matters, right? None of the things that you have done matter. So how did it work out for Israel? I don't say this as a threat, but, but the testimony of those gone before is, is, a, is a real testimony. How did it work out for them? About 12 wicked kings later, God removed them from his presence. Keep that in mind because we're going to see a, a glimmer of hope next week for Israel. But in 2 Kings 17, it says that 12 kings later, God removed them. Assyria came down, obliterated them, and they were gone. Oh, beloved, God has entrusted to us so great a gospel Let's not, let's not sacrifice it on the altar of convenience or on the altar of comfort, on the altar of temporary effects in this life. Let's, let's hear God speak to us. Let's, let's ask ourselves that same question. How long will we waver? How long will we stumble? When will we say, God, I am all in? When will we say, like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
we will serve the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And it's a story of, of your reaching out toward us in ways we never could have imagined. God, thank you for the sweet invitation to come before you and to confess our sin. To say, God, we no longer are going to be a slave to these things. But God, we are going to put our weight down completely on you. Oh, we love you, God. And we come before you now with, with the word from Jeremiah, God. And we... We ask you to hear our cry. Would you put that slide back up on the screen for me? Join me, would you? Would you stand? Let's say this together. God, we acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. 